0: About fifteen years ago, maybe ten years ago, um, I participated with my father in uh, bringing communion to uh, the homebound at the time, our church had a lot of people who couldn 't attend with us, and uh, so we would go out and at the th- I think at the time, my dad was the uh, uh, head elder, the chief of elders um, and I remember. Specifically, going and visiting Bill Bennett. Uh, no relation. Uh, Bill was a blessed saint. Um, and we visited him in his nursing home. And he was, I want to say, in his early 90s and uh, had a bit of onset of, of dementia. He wasn't, he wasn't completely there at the time. Um, but I remember my father crying as Bill took the elements and began quoting scripture. Um, just word after word from the New Testament, the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, just flowed out of his mouth. And Bill himself began to cry as he thought and looked up into heaven and asked God, I'm ready, I'm ready. At the time, my dad was probably in his early 50s. Mortality was getting real for him. And he was probably looking at a life where he hadn't always been a saint, and looking at a man who obviously was, and thinking, How can I make sure I finish like that? How can I make sure I finish like Charlotte, who's ready, who's lived well, who's been faithful? How can I finish like Marianne? I know who I am, and I'm not great. And sometimes I wonder if I've got enough. Enough in the tank to finish the race. I want to know if I've got enough to finish. If you've received your note sheet or if you'd like to look up Luke 14:25 to 35 in your Bibles, please stand as we read what Jesus has to say about having enough to finish. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to these large crowds, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life, just walk away. You can't be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, walk away. You can't be my disciple. For which one of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, and figure out if you've got enough to finish it. Or else after he's laid down the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and couldn't finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 No, while the others are still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, walk away, you can't be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how how can you season it? It is the seasoning. It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, for manure, but we just throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You may be seated. It's a hard saying. So many have heard about Jesus' ministry. So many have heard his gracious words of forgiveness, his call to repentance, his claim that the kingdom is here. They've seen him do amazing things. They've seen him forgive sins. They've seen him make the lame walk. Set the captives free. And many are wondering if this is the man I want to follow. And so they all show up as he's heading towards Jerusalem. They think he's about to become king. Jesus thinks he's about to get murdered. He wants the hardest of the hardcore to be his disciples. And so he tells them hard things. He says you have to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Now, I do want to soften that a little bit. Because hate is not normally what we think of as hate. Hate uh, can mean those really dark feelings that we have towards people. But really, in the ancient Near East, hate is really more of uh, an expression of your outward actions. Remember, in the ancient world, they don't talk a lot about emotions, internal, internal uh, states, intentional states. Uh, it's actually very interesting that we have as many descriptions of Jesus' emotions as we do in the Gospels, because that was very rare in writings of the time. No, hate meant a lack of commitment. In the same way that we might think of someone who uh, doesn't respond well to the military, who doesn't talk about the military, who doesn't think about our veterans, who doesn't uh, care for them. We might say that person hates the military, even if that person bears no particular animus towards soldiers. In the same way, Jesus is calling out people to hate, that is, lack commitment to their father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, their family. And this might be uncomfortable for us. Because we, like those in the ancient Near East, know that when the chips are down, your family is the one that's going to take care of you. Your family is your social safety net. Your family are the people that you owe everything to. We even hear in uh, in writings from the ancient Near East that a child's life is spent paying back uh, the raising that they experienced from their father and mother. To hate those people, to lack commitment to them, it's obscene. Not only is it dishonorable, not only is it shameful, but it removes, just from a selfish perspective, my, my resources that I've acquired for withstanding tragedy. If I lose my job, surely my parents will give me a place to say, not If I treat them as second class citizens. Not if they're number two or three or four or five on my list. Not if I'm more committed to something else. And then Jesus says another hard thing. He says, bear your cross. How strange must that sound to these people? When they think of a cross, they don't think of the church. There is no church. They think of criminals being executed. The shameful scum of the earth, detritus, human waste. That's what they think of people on a cross. And this man says, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross. Take your place with the criminals, the shameful, the human waste. How can anyone be expected to hear these things? Jesus goes on to explain them with two parables. He talks about building a tower. If you're getting ready to build a big building, you'd better think before you start. If you don't have enough, don't bother. You'll be a laughing stock. Instead, look at what it's going to take to make this thing rise. And if you don't have it, walk away. Only start if you've got enough to finish. Notice what he's appealing to. He's not appealing to our sense that it's very important to build a tower. Instead, he's appealing to our sense that it's really important not to be ashamed, not to be made fun of, not to lose our status. He says, don't start it, because if you do and you can't finish, everyone's going to laugh at you. He talks about starting a war. You better have enough troops to win, and if you don't, Send out someone to tell that guy to turn around. Figure out what it's going to take to protect yourself. Notice why he's telling a story about a king. It's not as though the king is starting a war uh, in order to make people's lives better. It's not some kind of defensive war or liberating war to bring democracy to a people. That's not what's going on in the ancient world. No. Kings start wars because they want to expand their power. And if you're going to realize that you're going to lose... You better figure out a way to end that war before it starts. Otherwise, you're going to lose all of your power. The conditions of peace. How much can I keep before this other king comes and takes away what little I have? And that large crowd is looking at him. And he's saying these awful things. And they must be thinking, do I really want to keep walking with this man? A lot of them probably don't. But there's a hard core of people around him, his disciples, people who've been with him through thick and thin. And they're probably thinking, do I really have enough? They're probably looking inside themselves, thinking about the fears and the doubts that they've had. Thinking about the sins that they carry, looking at the road Jesus is walking, and they're wondering, I don't know if I can do this. Do you, do you remember the day you were baptized? It was a good day. I was, uh, I think, maybe in the third grade, something like that. It was at Mission Hills Church. I don't even really remember what I said, but I, I know what it meant. I was publicly declaring that I was going to be a follower of Jesus. And I was, what, how old? Eight. Boy, I was getting into something I did not understand. I was making a commitment that I could not possibly comprehend. And Remember the day you got married. I remember the day I got married. Aaron had hair extensions. Uh, it was so lustrous I remember uh, we wrote our own vows but our vows were um, they were patterned on, on the classic vows right? for richer, for poorer, better, for worse and I remember choking up as I was saying them because I was like oh my gosh I have no idea what could happen to us and I'm making this promise you fool So far, it's been pretty good. Imagine, though, imagine what you don't know about your future with that person that you're marrying. You don't know if he's going to go to Afghanistan and come back as a double amputee. You don't know if there's going to be a fire. You don't know if you're going to have to raise a child with extreme and severe special needs. You have no idea what you're getting into. And there have got to be times in your life where you're looking at things and you're going, do I have enough to finish? Am I the kind of person who can stay the course? Because things are getting hard. You might find out that you have stage 4 cancer. You might find out that at best case, it's going to take a year of debilitating chemotherapy and the effects of neuropathy. And you might find out that the people of your church are going to expect you to be really positive through the whole thing. And you might wonder, I don't know if I got enough gas in this tank. I don't know. There's a show that was on TV for one year that I liked that I've quoted before and I'll quote again. It's called Firefly. And uh, one of the characters, he's a He's a preacher. Um, asks another character the following. He said, Did you ever read the works of Shan Yu? He fancied, fancied himself quite the warrior poet. He wrote volumes on war, torture, the limits of human endurance. He said, Live with a man for 40 years. Share his house, his meals. Speak on every subject. Then, tie him up and hold him over the volcano's edge. And on that day, you will finally meet him. Jesus says, count the cost. Decide whether or not you've got enough to take this road. And for every single one of us, if we really try to do that, and we really look down deep, we have to come up and say, I don't know if I can do it. I don't even know what I'm signing up for. There are advantages. If you're you're not a Christian, if you're one of the people in the world, and you do these things that we do, uh, marriage, uh, children, starting a business, uh, going to war, well, you... There's no one looking down on you, right? You're just, you're just you. And if things get tough, you can always go back on the vows and the promises you made because who's going to hold you to them? There's a song uh, I loved in college because it made me cry. And it's called Options. And the artist, he says, We were walking, holding hands with our bare feet in the sand and the seagulls overhead when I broke the spell and said, I could never divorce you without a good reason. And though I may never have to, it's good to have options. Christians, disciples, don't have options. We are called To set everything second place, third place, fourth place and be 100% committed to the way of Jesus Christ. How do we know? How do we know if we're the people who can do it? I drew your attention to the... The, the motivations behind the people in, in Jesus' parable. You know, uh, the, the guy who's building the tower, what, he, what is he really concerned about? Is it the tower? No, it's not the tower. What he's concerned about is what people think of him. Or the king who's going to start a war, is he concerned about the welfare of people and he's, it's a defensive war? No, he's deciding whether or not he can win, whether or not he can get more for himself. Think about the the saying about hating your, your family. It's about putting them second. It's about not fulfilling your obligations. It is ultimately about giving up the chance for them to bail you out when things go wrong. When you're picking up your cross, you're identifying with the outcasts, the scum of the earth. And if you identify with them, you have no social status to speak of. You have nothing that the world gives you to protect you anymore. You've cast it all aside. Everything. Everything that could keep you doing whatever it is the world thinks is good and happy and livable. That's all been sacrificed. It's been said, I'm not going to do it. I give it all up. I don't want any of that. Who can say those things? Who can think like that? Certainly not a lot of people in this large crowd. I remember I had an Old Testament professor and he was talking about um, a friend, a, a mentor of his in, in academia who had, um, who was dying and, uh, you know, he was holding his hand uh, for the last time to say goodbye and, and he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And, and, and this man who'd studied the Psalms his entire life said, he is enough. The Lord is enough. All, all of these, these things, uh, that we worry about our, our career and our relationships and our and our our, our status and our standing and our, and our ability to finish this da, 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 all of these things, and this man said, "You know what? Those are going to pass. Those are going to fade. But he, God, is enough." The great Martin Luther. Uh, I've told the kids in, in Trek this a number of times, he, he, was, uh, a very, uh, he was obsessed, obsessed with, with, with wrath and sin and the possibility of hell, and he used to, to be consumed by fear that he would be not enough. And he came to a point in his life where he said, instead of wondering whether or not I'm enough, I'm going to have to trust God to be enough. In fact, I'm going to have to trust that God is the God God says God is. Think about that for a moment. A lot of us have conceptions of who God is, right? We uh, think of an old man with a beard in the sky holding time or something like that. We, we think about Zeus or we think about um, an image, a light, a bright light. We think about all these things. But God reveals God's self in the scriptures to be relentlessly, faithfully committed to his people. He reveals himself to be gracious and merciful beyond all comprehension. He reveals himself to be the kind of God who never gives up, ever, And no matter how far we go, and no matter what we do, he always goes and grabs us and drags us back because he loves us. And he loves us because he cannot deny himself. He is love. He is commitment. And he will never be anything other than that. And Martin Luther said, God, if that's who you are, I don't have to be scared anymore. Because there is no hell that can keep me. I trust you to be you and not to be somebody else. And at that moment, the great Martin Luther started the reformation. Because he understood faith. Casting oneself out and saying, I can't do it. There isn't enough gas in this tank to finish. I know. But God, you're you. And you've got enough. You're enough for me. There's no answer to counting the cost because every single one of us doesn't have what it takes. None of us do. We cannot know the vagaries and vicissitudes of life. We do not know what's going to be thrown at us. Our only hope, the only thing that can ground us is that our God is bigger. Our God is stronger. Our God is mightier. And he will not let us go. That is the faith that Marianne lived It's the faith that Charlotte has. It's the faith that came off the lips of Bill Bennett as he was losing his mind before he went home. These people don't need the social status and the protections of resources from the family and the power and all the things that we think matter because for each one of these saints, God is enough. God is who God says God is. And that means that there is no death that can stop Marianne. There is no death that can stop Charlotte. There is no death that can stop Bill Bennett. There is no death that can stop any of us. God is bigger than death. In Jesus Christ, death died once for all because God is faithful to himself. And if that's the case, you don't need to worry about the cost. Because, no, you can't pay it. You don't have enough, but you don't need to. That's who your God is. How do you know if you have enough to finish? You don't. No, you know what? You do, and you don't have enough to finish but you have a God who's bigger than you. You have a God who will carry you, who will drag you to the finish line and make you cross it. And if that God is enough for you, then you have enough to finish. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we're people with empty gas tanks. We confess that we're not saints. We confess that when we hear the hard sayings, we don't know if we can hate family. We don't know if we can bear our cross. We don't know if we can finish the tower. We don't know if we have enough men to win the war. But God, we know you do. And we cast ourselves on you the way Marianne cast herself on you, the way Charlotte cast herself on you, the way Bill cast himself on you. And we trust you to be you, to be faithful, committed, loving, never quitting. And we trust you to be enough, come what may. In the name of your Son, by whom you proved that you are enough, we pray, amen. Amen.